This episode of The Nurse Keith Show is brought to you by Soothing Sense. Want to find a safe, effective, and simple way to improve the patient experience? Soothing Sense drug-free adjunct interventions pair essential oils with an inhaler design to help patients feel at ease, managing nausea, anxiety, and discomfort at every stage of care. It smells great, doesn't cause sedation, and can be used autonomously as soon as patients experience discomfort and there's no need for IVs and MD orders. Visit soothing-sense.com forward slash medical to request a free sample kit today. What does the future hold for diabetes treatment in the acute care setting and beyond? And what is it like to serve as a certified diabetes care and education specialist? Let's talk all about it with Lori Weiss of Glytech right here on episode 341 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is, of course, all about you, your personal and professional development, your nursing and healthcare career, and the system of healthcare as a whole. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews like today's with some of the most inspiring people around. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And here's a very, very, very special request. If you find value in this podcast, please consider becoming a valued patron over at patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. Creating, wow, more than 350 episodes incurs a lot of costs over time. And right now in 2021, I'm asking 100 regular listeners to pledge $2 a month for a year. That's less than buying me a cup of coffee every month. And you can rest assured that the show contains no added caffeine or sugar just lots of audio awesomeness for you. You can always pledge more and get some great gifts from me, but $2 a month would be really amazing. So head over to patreon.com. That's patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith to sign up and show your support for the show. The show notes for this episode will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 341. And today we're joined by new friend of the pod, Lori Weiss of Blytech. And Lori, we're going to talk about your background and the work you do and everything. But the first thing I want to ask is, what is a certified diabetes care and education specialist? So a certified diabetes care and education specialist is someone who has worked as a diabetes educator and met all of the requirements in order to sit for the certification exam. Okay. And I've heard of the term certified diabetes educator before, CDE, and I've known nurses who were CDEs. So where does CDCES come from? The diabetes um, certifying board and the association um, has recently changed that name from certified diabetes educator to certified diabetes care and education specialist, really to reflect more um, clearly what a diabetes educator does. We don't just educate patients, we care for those patients. And they wanted to reflect uh, really all of what we are doing for the diabetes population. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So CDE is now CDCES. So we're not going to hear of people Correct. becoming CDEs anymore, right? That's right. Okay. So that's sort of like old school and this is the new mm -hmm. world now. Okay. So it's 21st century. All right. That's right. So 
a certified diabetes care and education specialist, and you're also a nurse. And how long have you been in nursing? I became a nurse in 1988. 1988. And I understand that you've worked on the front lines in mostly Dallas and then also in Wisconsin before that. So what's your, you know, what was your metier as a clinical nurse before you got into diabetes care? Yeah, I actually worked at a large academic pediatric hospital and there I started on a medical floor. And that first um, unit that I worked on was where all of the patients who had diabetes, uh, mostly newly diagnosed, were placed. And as a nurse, I was expected to participate in the patient and family diabetes education. So diabetes education really started from the beginning of my career and I worked there for several years, went on to work in the pediatric intensive care unit, where I took a special interest in caring for patients with congenital heart defects. Uh, I worked there for five years until I became a cardiovascular nurse clinician and heart-lung transplant coordinator. And in that role, I really, uh, my role was to educate the parents and staff nurses about congenital heart defects and how how we surgically repaired those and really kept patients and their families, well, not the, the families updated during that surgery. And after several years of doing that, I really became, I really understood that I really liked the education piece of that. And so there was a position for a diabetes educator at our our facility. And so I became a diabetes educator and that was in 1999. And and then from there, I've I've been a diabetes educator. Um, I did actually uh, move around a bit and then got, and that was in Wisconsin and then came to Dallas and was in all pediatric hospitals, uh, worked at um, Dallas Children's. And um, eventually went, you know, I did some various things, worked outpatient, went back into the cardiac, and then came back to diabetes education. And um, that's when I became certified as a uh, diabetes care and education specialist. Wow. So you've done transplant coordination, you've done cardiovascular, you've been to outpatient, mm-hmm. you've been back into acute care, and now you work for Glytech, which we'll talk about later on. Yeah. But first, let's let's kind of dig deeper into diabetes, which has always been a real interest of mine. What do we really need to understand about diabetes care and diabetes in general in the 21st century? What's what's changed and what do nurses who are out there listening, what do they really need to understand and really, really grasp about diabetes now? Wow, there has... <laughs> It's it's funny when I look back o- you know, over my career and when I started as a diabetes educator in 1999, there were limited insulin options. Insulin pumps were available, but not mm-hmm. widely used. Uh, I remember putting the first, wearing the first professional continuous glucose monitor that was approved by the FDA in 1999. And, and wow. uh, you know now you know only it was only a preferred. Per- for professional use, patients couldn't, you know, own a CGM mm-hmm. and they would go home. Uh, mm-hmm. We would collect blinded data for three days. Then um, they would come back into the office. We'd download that information and review it with them. And if you look forward to, to today, uh, you know, we have many diabetes medication options, including 
many more insulin options than we had back then. Several CGM options for personal use as well as professional use. Uh, we have several insulin pump options, even a tubeless one. And some are now integrated with those CGMs so that really that CGM and insulin pump are working together and make, you know, the insulin pump is using that information to make automatic changes in the insulin it's delivering to patients. And the other thing, you know, there's a lot of, especially like I always worked with type one um, patients because 95% of patients who are pediatric have type one diabetes. And, you know, there's mm -hmm. a lot to monitor a lot, you know, adjusting your insulin, checking your blood glucose, figuring out how much you're, you're eating and how that all interacts. And so a lot of these things have really helped reduce that, that burden on the patients uh, and then at the same time, and improves their glycemic management by um, increasing the time that patients in their target range. There's right, which is so important. Yeah, there's smart insulin pens. There's diabetes apps. It's really phenomenal how the industry has changed and how many different devices and medications and and resources really that there are for people with diabetes. It's so true. And mm -hmm. I became a nurse in 1996. And I started out in community health in a, a federally funded community health center in Western Massachusetts. And I remember, you know, we didn't have that much in terms of insulin. You're right. We mm -hmm. had long actings, we had Humalog, you know, there were only certain things that we had to work with. Yep. And it seems kind of primitive now <laughs> compared to what we have, um, you know, looking back on those days almost 30 years ago. But I remember... I remember in maybe the early 2000s when they first had those little meters where you would prick your finger and then you would it would kind of suck the blood into the mm -hmm. little strip by capillary action yep. and that seemed so cool at the time and then we could actually take that meter and plug it into our computer and download the data which also seemed incredibly um like advanced technology back then, which to us now seems pretty pedestrian. <laughs> but at the time, it, it was kind of a game changer for us managing really, you know, uncontrolled patients, basically. Yeah, because before that, you were checking it with urine. Mm -hmm. That's and true. And that was I what that's that what happened an hour ago to your blood sugar, mm -hmm. right? And and those first meters, sometimes it would take eight minutes to get a result. Now it's mm -hmm. almost instantaneous. Right. And, so. you know, I also, you see people with the um, patches they wear where mm -hmm. they can just hold the meter up to that patch, yep. um, which gives them the reading without having to prick their finger. Because yep. I remember patients who had neuropathy and, you know, it was so hard for them to prick their finger. And then there were the ones where you could prick your forearm, but then there was talk about how that might not be so accurate. So it's, we've been through a lot in terms mm -hmm. of diabetes in the last I don't know, 20, 30 years. And you seem to have been on the cutting edge this whole time, having you. I really do like technology. So mm -hmm. as a diabetes educator, I was always any, any, anything new I wanted to know about. And, and really it, I feel like as a diabetes educator in today's world, you know, patients are bringing you, oh, this app, or they're coming to you because they're seeing ads on, on the TV. So you really do have to stay up to date with what's going on mm -hmm. uh, or your patients are going to, are going to come to you and say, Hey, there's this app. And you're like, Oh, great. I have to go check that out. So right. 
uh, a lot. There's just a lot out there and it, it really is good. It can be overwhelming, but I'd rather have choices than, than lack of choice. Right. Now, speaking of choices, just to, to take a different tack here for a second, how did you choose diabetes or did it choose you? You know, and why, why did it capture your imagination so much? Was it a personal thing or was it just professional curiosity? You know, I, I, I just have always really liked educating. And so when I was uh, on that first medical floor and I would do diabetes education, I just liked it. I liked interacting with the, with the, with, you know, in, in pediatrics, it's even more different because you're in, you're, you're having to educate the child as well as the parents. And I just enjoyed that. So uh, when that position became available, I, I, I guess it really chose me because I don't have any personal relation to diabetes in any way. Uh, but just, I, I love all the technology. I love all the advancements um, and just really helping. I get, and I really enjoyed the pediatric population. Obviously, I've been a pediatric nurse for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very rewarding to help families and kids through, um, you know, newly di- being newly diagnosed with diabetes and really helping them on that journey to the point where then they can actually, res- you know, take over that care and make those adjustments in insulin and and care for their child, and then ultimately teach the child to do the same. Mm-hmm. Right. And when that CDE job came along that you mentioned, you know, about 10 minutes ago, yep. did you know a fair amount already, or did you have to really get up to speed really fast when you took that job? Well, you know, it's funny because I, I did know, you know, somewhat about educating families on the unit, but when I became a diabetes educator, I realized that there was so much more I didn't know as a nurse. And I, I feel like nurses, and it's hard because when, you, when you've been a diabetes educator for a long time, you know insulin so well that it's hard to go back and, and look at insulin and before you knew all that you knew, right? And nurses really don't understand insulin. I feel like that is um, an obstacle I don't think that we get uh, we get pretty basic diabetes information in nursing school, right? So when you come out of um, nursing school, it's not the in-depth diabetes education that you get once you become a diabetes educator. So I think there's a lot of misconception in in how food and insulin, uh, you know, really work together. And, you know, how basal insulin is different than bolus insulin and when you should give insulin and when you shouldn't. So I I think, I think there's some, there's a lot of information that I learned um, after becoming a diabetes educator, I feel like would be really helpful for nurses to understand better as bedside nurses. Right. Right. And in terms of the things that stand in nurses way what are the common obstacles for nurses when they're treating diabetes and insulin dependent patients in the hospital what are they generally coming up against and it might be that they don't have full understanding or what else is actually happening that complicates care 
well, obviously nurses are very busy and they're mm -hmm. um, extremely busy right now. So that, and they have um, high acuity of patients. So they really have time to stop and, 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 you know, learn things during their day. Uh, I think one thing that, you know, that there's a pretty big misunderstanding and really just the lack of knowing what basal bolus insulin therapy is. So a lot of hospitals out there are, are still using sliding scale to manage diabetes, manage blood glucoses in hospital. And that's really um, a reactive way of managing diabetes. Mm -hmm. You only giving insulin when the blood glucose is high. Right. That's and, reactive and very old school. Yep. And very yeah. old school. Mm -hmm. And the proactive way to really manage blood glucose is to give insulin at the beginning of a meal, cover the num, you know, cover count up how many, you know, carbohydrates that patient's going to eat, give them the amount of insulin to cover those carbohydrates, because we know if you eat your blood glucose, is going to go up. Mm -hmm. So if we want to keep you in your target range, we have to account for the carbohydrates you're going to eat with insulin. And then if your blood glucose is elevated before the meal, uh, then you're going to add insulin to that meal bolus dose because at the other side of it, you want to then be in target. And that's really the proactive way of, of giving insulin. But I, I have been at Goal Lives in my current job and, and head nurses, you know, standing around, a, a, you know, one of their computers going, I'm not going to give insulin, you know, glucomander's telling me to give whatever, eight units of insulin and the patient's blood glucose is a hundred. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, because they're going to eat food, right? right. Um, so it's very, it's, it's very shocking to nurses to give insulin when the blood glucose is in the target range. But if right. you it's don't a, do it, if you don't give mm -hmm. insulin, then three hours later, you're going to have a high blood glucose. Right. And you're going to be trying to get them down in that reactive manner. Yeah. And the damage is being done in those, you know, the, the micro damage, I guess, that gets caused in those little blood vessels, right? Yep. And Kidneys, eyes, et cetera. I mean, that's more of a long-term complication, but, you know, mm -hmm. if, if we're talking in the hospital, you know, you're going to have um, increased morbidity, uh, mortality, you're going to have longer length of stays, you know, you're, if, you know, if you have an infection, your blood glucose is going to be high. Well, if you don't get that under control, then you're, you're, it's going to take longer to get over that infection. So blood glucose definitely plays a huge role in patient. And I've also had nurses say to me, why, why do I care if their blood glucose is in target when they're in the hospital, they came in to the hospital with, let's say A1C of 13%. And they're just going to go home and do the same thing when, when they leave here. But it really does matter because uh, how, you know, how they respond to the therapy they're getting when they're in the hospital it, um, will be complicated if their blood glucoses are above target range. Right, right. So speaking of which, really quickly, before we take a break, target range. The target range has changed, just like other measures have changed over time. So right now, 2021, what is the, the accepted target range for a normal fasting blood sugar these days? For normal fasting blood sugar, it should be under 100. And that thought mm -hmm. is even changing to be lower than that. 
so, you know, when you get up and check your blood and this is for someone who doesn't have diabetes, right? Yes. So yes. someone without diabetes, you want that to be under a hundred and then, um, no, 80 to 120 is, is the normal range throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Right. And these numbers have been tweaked over time, right? Because we've been trying to tighten it up. And mm -hmm. you mentioned one more thing before the break. You mentioned the hemoglobin A1C, which I understand meaning that it gives you your average blood sugar over the last 90 days because Correct. hemoglobin... Uh, red blood cells live for 90 days and it's this glycosylated hemoglobin, right? That, that yep. you can measure. Mm -hmm. So when did the hemoglobin A1C become such a standard of measurement? Because I don't remember it back when I was studying to be a nurse in the late mid to late nineties. Well, when I became a diabetes educator in 1999, we were looking at hemoglobin A1C at that point. So I'm not really sure, um, when that became the standard of looking at it, it has been mm -hmm. the entire time I've worked with diabetes. Okay. It was probably wasn't quite on my radar at the time, but it feels like it's become really central to, to care these days. And, you know, fasting blood sugars and randoms are great, but the A1C gives us a lot of information, doesn't it? It does, but I think it doesn't give us all the information. I think really mm -hmm. you're going to start to see a lot more uh, focus on the how long that patient's in their target range. And oh, we have, okay. a, you know, with, with continuous glucose monitors and things like that, we can really gauge percentage of time the patient's in that target range. If you think about it, you could have, you could take two patients and they could both have an A1C of 8.5. Okay. But one patient has very little glycemic variability in their blood glucose. And the other patient has very high highs and then lows, and they're really bouncing around a lot in their blood glucose, mm -hmm. but their average is the same. Oh, interesting. So it really is this, it, it's kind of a, a gross number that doesn't give us that, that nuance that you're looking for. And so if I were going to look at who is going to do better and have less, you know, issues, the person who has less glycemic variability and has an A1C of 8.5 is going to be in a better shape than someone who is really bouncing around between having high and low blood glucoses. Good point. Really yeah. good point. Okay, good. Well, thank you for clarifying that. So we're going to take a really quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about Glytech and what you do for them and also talk about nurses who are interested in becoming CDCES certified and what that means and how they can get there and anything else that comes up in the midst of that conversation. How does that sound? Sounds good. Great. So we will be right back for the second half of episode 341 of the Nurse Keith Show with Lori Weiss. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. This episode of the Nurse Keith Show is sponsored by Soothing Sense. Nurses are busier than ever with increasing pressure to ensure high patient satisfaction rates while keeping risks low. Quease Ease by Soothing Sense was designed to do just that. 
Developed by a nurse anesthetist and delivered in an innovative, personalized inhaler system, Queezease is a drug-free adjunct therapy that intercepts the nausea cycle when and as discomfort arises without the need for IVs, dosage requirements, or an MD order. With Queezease, nurses can feel empowered knowing they have another tool in their toolbox to achieve patient comfort, which is why it's used and loved in over 2,500 hospitals across the United States. Visit www.soothing-sense.com forward slash medical. That's soothing-sense.com forward slash medical to request a free sample kit or to find out more about Queezy's and the full Soothing Sense comfort range, including formulas for anxiety, congestion, and fatigue. I have a Soothing Sense sample kit here in my home, and I can honestly tell you I totally love it. And you can also follow them on Instagram at soothing underscore sense. And I thank Soothing Sense for their generous support. Speaking of generous support, right now I'm asking 100 regular listeners of The Nurse Keith Show to please consider becoming a patron for just $2 a month. Producing over 350 episodes of the podcast has incurred and will continue to incur many costs, and I appreciate my patrons so very much. If you enjoy the show, you can always continue listening for free, but please consider becoming a patron for just $2 a month or more if you want to get some cool premiums and gifts and visit P-A-T-R-E-O-N, that's patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to sign up and show some love for the Nurse Keith Show. Also, please consider signing up for my newsletter at nursekeith.com so that you can receive my bi-weekly message. And finally, if someone you know could benefit from career coaching with me, consider referring them. If they become a paying client, you receive credit for an hour of coaching with me and there's no expiration date on that credit so you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. And I think that's an awesome deal. Those are my sincere asks of you, my friends. So now let's dig back into today's topic. So welcome back to the second half of the episode. Please remember the show notes are located at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 341. We're here again with friend of the pod, Lori Weiss of Blytech. Lori, prior to the break, we were talking about becoming a CDCES and we were talking about hemoglobin A1Cs and glycemic control and all those sorts of things. And we also mentioned Blytech, the company who you work for. And you are the clinical project lead at Glytech. So after 30 years on the front lines as a nurse in Wisconsin and Dallas, like we talked about doing transplant coordination and all sorts of things you've done, cardiovascular, what is it that you do as the clinical project lead at Glytech? So I think in order, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Glytech just so I can, you'll understand, um, you know, a little bit better what my role at Glytech is, but Glytech is an insulin management software company. And um, we have FDA cleared titration software that has a proprietary algorithm so that we can deliver personalized diabetes treatment recommendations. And so uh, we have different modules, treatment modules. We have Glucomander IV, Glucomander Sub-Q and our Glucomander outpatient. And I um, help with the inpatient modules, which would be IV and, and sub-Q. And so if we're looking at IV glucomander, um, glucomander is going to recommend the IV insulin infusion rate based on um, current as well as cumulative um, patient blood glucoses. 
And for uh, sub-Q glucomander, glucomanders are going to look at the bolus and basal insulin doses that the patients received and then adjust those daily based on how the patients responded. And the goal for all of this is to keep that patient within their target range. And our, our software is cloud-based and also um, has a lot of integrations. So uh, the nurse doesn't have to leave their EMR, so their electronic medical record to get to Glucomander. It's integrated right within the EMR using our smart click um, feature. Um, demographics, the labs pull in, anything that's documented in Glucomander automatically flows over into the EMR flow sheets. We have order initiation integration and medication dose confirmation integration. So there's a lot of integrations right within Glucomander. So what I do at, at, Glucom at Glytech is I help support this process um, on the implementation side. So when the client is ready to implement Glucomander into their hospital, I help them create those population-based order sets and those will standardize how glucomander and insulin are ordered in their hospital system. I will review and revise um, and look at their clinical workflows related to insulin delivery and glucomander and help them, um, you know, work, work, you know, revise those to um, go live with glucomander. We look at their downtime processes. Uh, we advise on a plan for glucomander education for nurses, providers, and pharmacists, because of course you need to be educated on how to use glucomander. And then I help a lot. I, one thing I didn't really, I guess, realize is when I got into this role is I, I really have learned a lot of the technical um, pieces. And so I help a lot with the, you know, we work very closely, the clinical project lead with the technical project lead, because as, as you can tell from what I said earlier, we have a lot of integration and very technical. Mm -hmm. So I help with that, um, help with the go live plan and how we're going to clinically cut over when, when glucomander goes live and then support them during that go live. So it's a pretty long process. It usually takes anywhere from three to three to four months um, working with a client. And when you say client, we're talking either a hospital or a hospital system, right? That's correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you go in and I'm curious in terms of glucomander, which maybe some nurses out there listening have encountered it. Mm -hmm. Is it integrated, I'm assuming, with whatever EMR they're using? Yes. Yeah. So it's just seamless and it becomes mm -hmm. part of how they how they document, et cetera. Yeah, so they, so it's using our smart click feature, the nurse goes to a glucomander button, let's say they're using Epic or Cerner, or Meditech, whatever, whatever EMR they're in, they click on that glucomander button and glucomander pulls up right within their EMR. I they don't see. have to put in a username and password. It's just seamless. That's really cool. So let's talk a little bit about what it's like to be a nurse who has pivoted into working in the tech world. And it must be really interesting and different from what you've been describing to us doing as a, as a CDCES and working in transplant and pediatrics. What was that transition like when you first moved over and started working on this, on the tech side? What, what did you encounter and how did you feel as a nurse doing that kind of work? Well, it's interesting because the, my, I started in engineering school in college. So I, I, I feel like I have a pretty 
technically oriented mind. Um, but I, I really didn't realize how much I was going to learn um, in this role. So, you know, we're, it's a software company that I'm working for and, and very heavily clinical because there's so many clinical decisions that need to be made. But you can't, you, you can't have this product without the technical side of it. So, yes, I've had to learn a lot of technical jargon and, and things that I didn't know before, which has been great. That's really cool. And do you feel like, well, nursing school only prepares us for so much. And mm-hmm. a lot of nurses see themselves as very limited to first, the acute care space. A lot of nurses don't think there's anything for them to do outside of acute care, which is not true, but just a lot of nurses just are in that world and can't see beyond it. And it's just the way of the, the way of the nursing mind, it seems, especially the ways in which we get, um, that gets driven into our heads during nursing school. You know, acute care is sort of the, the center of all attention. So we don't get trained to think about our roles outside of acute care. And we also don't get trained in the the worlds of technology, unless we happen to be at some very cutting edge school where we have access to that, like Ohio State University, where there's definitely some a lot of innovation happening. So for any nurses out there who are listening, who who are interested in technology and they're interested in maybe working for Glytech or a company like Glytech, what does a nurse need to do to brand themselves and to make themselves an attractive candidate to land a position like something you're doing? You know, nurses could go and work for one of the EMR companies. Mm-hmm. Um, nurses can become do nursing informatics, which, you know, you're building all of the orders and there's a lot of, there's a lot more really technically oriented jobs that nurses can do these days. Uh, And, you know, you have your ClinDoc, a lot of these people that I'm working with on the client side that are building the order sets, building these charting interfaces are nurses. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I, in fact, I, I, I was working with a, a client last week. We just had to go live and uh, love working with this particular client and, and asked her, you know, how did you, how did you get to what you're doing? Did you have, did you do school? She said, no, I just, I, I you know, I applied and, and really just learned on the job. And I think, I think that really is a, a nice, uh, you know, part of nursing. Like I, I've done a lot of different things mm-hmm. and, I don't think it's ever looked down upon hiring a nurse. Like when I became an ICU nurse, I obviously wasn't an ICU nurse before, but you're trained on the job. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in technology, I, I would I would go towards that technology route in your hospital, and you know, you know, apply for a position in informatics or a ClinDoc or something, and just they'll teach you on the job, and then from there that would open up other roles. Uh, out in the industry, uh, similar to what I would say to do as a diabetes, uh, you know, if you want to be a diabetes care and education specialist, you know, you have to do the work before you can become certified. So somebody has to give you a job, right? And, and so I would recommend that 
you know, you utilize the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialist, Specialist website, which is diabeteseducator.org. There's an, a wealth of information on there. They do have career path certification programs you can take that will really help give you more knowledge in diabetes. Um, the American um, Diabetes Association, which is diabetes.org, is another really good resource for diabetes. But, you know, how, you know, become familiar, like talk to your diabetes care and education specialist at your hospital and, and, you know, ask them like, how can I help create education that would help us as inpatient nurses understand diabetes more? Mm -hmm. I would say become a diabetes nurse champion on your unit um, so that, you know, you, you can be someone that they come to and really work with your CDC ES is to do that. And then once you become a diabetes educator, your goal should become to become certified. Mm -hmm. Once you're certified, that will open up a whole nother career opportunities in the diabetes industry. And from there, you know, you, you can, you can go work with pump companies, continuous glucose monitor. You could do sales. You could go into research. You could Go the tech route like I did. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different things that you can do. And really, when when my son-in-law was deciding what he what he wanted to go to school for, I was really instrumental in, in getting him to go to nursing school because I said, once you're a nurse, there really are a lot of different things you can do. You know, if you want to be an inpatient nurse and that's what your passion is and that's what you want to do, that's great. But mm -hmm. if if you know, you can, you can go the, you can become, go up the management route. You can do research, you can teach, um, you could be a professor, mm -hmm. you, you could, uh, work for an insurance company yeah. and, and you can start a business. You could start a business mm -hmm. there. There are just, I feel like, uh, there's a lot you can do as a nurse and, um, you can be do there's legal nurses now where they could do legal. That's right. Legal um, so nurse consulting. You're, that's yeah, right. there's, yeah, you're really answered, not limited. Yeah, there's a you've lot answered you can several do. questions for me here because I was going to ask about nurses getting into CDCES work. So you've answered that question and in yep. the tech world too. And when what I've come across with clients and also people I've met and talked to along the way, like you too, is that informatics research and the tech side of things, people generally fall into those jobs because they've either shown initiative, they've shown curiosity, they've yeah. talked to people, they've they've volunteered like or they've become an epic super user, you know, they've just yep. demonstrated their value and and shown that hey, I'm really interested in with these things and I have facility with computers or whatever and you know, I would be a good fit for for your organization. And then they go on and like you said, then you mm -hmm. get Hot, you know, you can get a degree in information systems management in healthcare or something along those lines. So you're right that that the you can kind of carve the path for yourself by showing interest. And it sounds yeah, like that's, that's right. what you did. You showed interest mm -hmm. and curiosity. It was funny when I when I uh, saw this job um, on LinkedIn. I knew that my my Dexcom rep had moved over to Glytech. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I did was call Chris, call her and say, okay, so tell me about this company and, and 
you know, would I like this job? And she said, oh, well, you, you really like technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you've always been very interested in that. And so I connected with her and she's like, oh, yeah, let me send your resume to my boss. See, see, listeners, Lori decided this job looked interesting and she didn't just apply. First, she called somebody she knew at the company, which she happened to have that contact and said, hey, would I like this and what's it really like? And then that person forwarded your resume. So this is what I tell people to do all the time. So I'm assuming the forwarding of your resume by an employee had an impact. Yes. Yeah. For sure. And she knew me. We had a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so really, I, I, I feel like LinkedIn is a really good connection. And I am very specific in my LinkedIn connections. Mm-hmm. Really, almost all of my connections on LinkedIn are diabetes related. Lori, you're doing that job for me. This is amazing. So, mm-hmm. so you've learned to use LinkedIn and leverage it for your particular specialty and really make it work for you. Absolutely. See, that is so cool. Right. You know, I follow companies that I'm interested in, but really, I if I have really been very specific in 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 my LinkedIn, who I follow, um, who I'm, I guess, friends with on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. are really all have to do with nursing or something that I'm interested in, nursing or diabetes. Right. That's really great. And and I think that's it really gives you good connections. And then, and so, the, I mean, that's how I, I knew this job was available was from LinkedIn and then, then knew that I had a connection with somebody else who I had worked with who worked there. That's great. Now, um, I didn't pay you to say any of this, right? No. Just saying. Okay. <laughs> All right. So as we start to wind down, what does the future hold for diabetes treatment? you know, in acute care, what, what might we see? Is it AI? What, what, what is coming that you can prognosticate? Well, I, you know, obviously I think um, insulin management software is going to be used uh, more and more as we go forward, especially since uh, the um, center for Medicaid and um, Medicare have um, come out with new um CMS measures that include hypo and hyperglycemia for the first time, Mm -hmm. uh, that is going to be something that hospitals will need to start measuring. And I think a lot of times hospitals don't realize, they think, oh, we're doing okay with with glycemic management. Um, But if you're not measuring something, you don't know if you're doing well or not well. So now um, hospitals will really have to start measuring that and start looking at and you know at their numbers and then comparing themselves to other you know hospital systems. And glycemic management inpatient, um, it's it's gonna the software end of it can really help that whole process. Um, and then the other thing I see is. You know, I think COVID has opened up a a potential use for continuous glucose monitors in the inpatient. So they're not currently approved for inpatient use, but um, the FDA has basically allowed it to be used during this time. And so we have seen, um, you know, some hospitals starting to use continuous glucose monitoring. And um, I could see a world in where 
the insulin software management um, companies and the CGM companies could, uh, you know, really work together to use that information. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. And people should watch for these these glucose and diabetes management softwares coming into mm-hmm. their facilities and watch for Glytech as well. And if any of you have have worked with Glucomander, let me know. Let me know what what you've thought of that and get in touch with Lori as well and let her what you know. And Lori, speaking of getting in touch, if people want to learn about Glytech, they can go to glytechsystems.com. That's G-L-Y-T-E-C, right? Correct. And they're also on Twitter at Glytech and you're on LinkedIn and we will have your LinkedIn posted there in the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. And is there any last piece of sage advice you'd like to offer to a nurse out there who's interested in diabetes? Any other thing you might say, hey, you know, think about this. It's a great, I've really enjoyed being a certified diabetes care and education specialist. I particularly like the pediatric population, um, but that's because I've been a pediatric nurse for so long. But mm-hmm. you know, 30 to 40% of patients in the hospital are on insulin. And so it's, it, diabetes is a big part of what we, you know, of patient care. And so, yeah, I think it's just a, I really enjoyed this role and, and being a diabetes educator. So I would encourage people to really look into that. We're going to need more and more um, of us out there. We are indeed. Yeah. Right. And we're going to need more and more nurses like you who are willing to bridge the gap between the clinical space and the tech space too, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, we will. And you happen to be bridging the gap between diabetes and the tech space, which is a really nice niche. So thanks for Mm -hmm. leading the way and giving us an example of someone who's created a really successful career for themselves in this area, which is really fascinating and definitely pretty cutting edge. So I really appreciate you being here and I hope people check out Glytech and they can get in touch with you as well if they want to share anything with you. And I just sent you an invitation on LinkedIn. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much, Lori. This has really been wonderful. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. The show notes where you can learn all about Lori Weiss and Glytech will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 341. If you need personalized holistic career coaching to elevate your career, look no further than nursekeith.com. And remember, you can get a 10% discount on your first coaching package if if you mention the show. And if you mention Glytech or Lori Weiss, you can get 15% off. So please pay attention and let me know you heard the episode. And again, please consider becoming a patron of the podcast at patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith. $2 a month for a year would be awesome. You can also avail yourself of some great prizes and premiums if you'd like to pledge more. So head over to patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith and consider becoming a patron. 
The Nurse Keith Show is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. It's my privilege and honor to be a member of the network. Please check them out. There's a lot of really great shows over there. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster. I'm grateful to Rob and Mark for keeping the wheels turning in the right direction. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico and Lori Weiss saying arrivederci from... Little Elm, Texas. Little Elm, Texas. Thank you, Lori. Thank you to everyone for listening and we will catch you on the flip side. 